Hello, I'm David Hughes and this is Rogue Commentary, the podcast that brings you brand new audio commentaries for interesting movies by the people who made them. In this, the 21st episode, I'm very excited to be joined by screenwriter Don McPherson, who skillfully adapted William McIlvanny's brilliant novel The Big Man into the hugely underrated film of the same name, directed by David Leland and starring Liam Neeson, Ian Bannon, Billy Connolly, Joanne Wally Kilmer, Hugh Grant and Peter Mullen with music by Ennio Morricone. Produced by Stephen Woolley under the Palace Pictures banner, The Big Man sadly wasn't a big hit, but it really captures the spirit not only of McIlvanny's extraordinarily insightful novel, but also of the times, specifically the crushed spirit of the colliery workers and their communities in the aftermath of Thatcher's crushing of the miners' strike. I'm very grateful to Don for walking us through the making of The Big Man, which is ripe for reassessment and well worth seeking out. As always, you can listen like this as a podcast, or for best results, cue it up to the film, pausing on the first frame of the film itself after the logos. Ready to play? Three, two, one, play. Hi, I'm uh, Don McPherson. I was the screenwriter on The Big Man and uh, very pleased to go through uh, the film, which is remained a favourite uh, and very keen to uh, get it to a new audience. I think first of all I should say none of us would be involved in this thing without uh, William McIlvanny who's really one of the great novelists, one of the great Scottish novelists, one of the great modern British novelists and when I read The Big Man uh, as a novel I was immediately struck by a whole host of things which really hadn't come through in uh, movies in Britain that I'd uh, seen. One of which was, it was an incredibly contemporary story uh, about men in a particular working class area of Scotland, but it had lots of uh, dignity and uh, poetic uh, aspects to it. Uh, much more like an American novel, I would say, than a British novel, which is usually more metropolitan or uh, involved in manners or this kind of thing. This was a real tough, gutsy, uh, uh, sort of noirish book, but full of poetic ideas about fate, about what character is, what haunts decisions, what haunts choices. Uh, what makes relationships work, what communities are, all these kind of things are in the book. And obviously we tried to uh, get to some of those uh, in, the, in the movie. You have to remember that when, when I first read the book, we were actually in the height of Margaret Thatcher's pomp and ceremony uh, and the miners' strike, uh, which was really a kind of uh, uh, civil war in Britain, was really quite close to the thing. So when I read the book, even though it wasn't set during the uh, the strike itself, it, it was just an obvious um, uh, thing to me to to set it from there because people hadn't done anything about that. You know, it was this huge uh, gash and tear in the entire uh, society that I was living in. Uh, you know, and but there was nothing about it. And uh, when I read The Big Man, I, I saw it immediately as this sort of noirish story. Uh, and you see here the, uh, the sort of uh, the grim uh, fields of uh, Ayrshire and the car going through it. And um, 
what it immediately reminded me of was one of my favorite Hemingway short, short stories uh, called The Killers. And there are two movies made of that, uh, a 1946 one, I think, with Burt Lancaster and Eva Gardner, and then a 1964 one uh, by Don Siegel with Lee Marvin and lots of others, including Ronald Reagan and so forth. Um, the great thing about The Killers um, in the story, very short story and the uh, movies of that, they're about two men coming to a, a far-off diner of a small town and they just want to find a guy. Uh, they go to, to a diner, they're slightly menacing, and they just want to find a guy and come and see him. And the young kid who realises that these guys are... Uh, something very bad is going to happen, he rushes off to the, uh, the guy... Um, who is just asleep on his bed and says, there, there, there are two guys there, they're coming to get you. And the guy doesn't do anything, and the, the young kid is shocked. He says, why don't you run? Why don't you get away? He says, it wouldn't make any difference. You know, I've, I've done a bad thing. And in the 46th story, he was a boxer who had, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, fought against the mob, etc., etc., and that kind of thing. And in the other uh, movie, he's a sort of racing car driver who uh, uh, had come up against, uh, you know, villains trying to, you know, fix the business he was in. But the the beginning of The Big Man uh, is really a sort of an echo of that. And I think originally it was, we started with a thing much more directly from The Killers, um, of the two guys coming to visit him, in fact, to kill him in the, the end of the story. Um, and then we would go back to the how did it start. So the first draft of the screenplay was very much, there wasn't, wasn't going to be suspense in this about what was going to happen to them. We would know right from the beginning that this guy was a marked man and the, really the, the drama of the story was going to be how and who out of all the people you meet were going to uh, attack him, betray him, befriend him, cheat on him stand loyal to him, etc. So um, this is very much, in my mind, like the, the Hemingway story and um, the, the films which I loved. I don't know if McIlvany had read the story. I suspect he actually had. But it's a, a very uh, startling story because what it does is it places these two sort of tough guys as... So representatives of fate or like the Greek gods coming to this small nowheresville, uh, like where Danny Schooler lives. But they bring, you know, the worst news possible, which is death is going to visit you. And uh, I always loved that thing of doing a very mythical story in a very, uh, for want of a better word, ordinary place, because... Um, people who you don't think of as being necessarily special, they always have lives which have mythical uh, events at their core. Anyway, that, that was one of the things that attracted me to the story, to Danny Schooler's story and to McIlvany's book. Um, and we can see here in the early sort of domestic scenes just trying to uh, you know, fill in some of the uh, background of uh, the relationship between Danny and his uh, wife Beth, the kids and everything. And... Uh, 
just uh, seeing the rather gloomy Scottish uh, uh, countryside, you know, the, the sort of mining towns of Ayrshire are not famed for their beauty in aesthetic terms, although it's a very beautiful uh, county. You see here in the in the pub they go into, um, in the killers they originally go into a diner, but the the thing is uh, very similar. Uh, you know, the guys arrive from somewhere else, the big city you might think, you know, somewhere else, but they're really from another universe is the kind of town. They just don't fit in, you know, it's obviously a little bit like a western or a, uh, another thing. Um, but I think uh, and Ian Bannon, of course, is terrific. Uh, there's Billy Connolly without uh, beard uh, or moustache. I mean, he, um, when David approached him, uh, he was had his Billy Connolly face on, a beard and everything. And David uh, uh, said, "Oh, you'll you'll have to shave it off." You know, and I think he was a bit reluctant to do that. But then, of course, when he did it, it was such a release for him because he could walk around Glasgow almost unrecognised, you know. Um, and we were seeing these early scenes uh, just trying to set up the uh, the marriage between Danny and Beth, the kind of domestic uh, life which is about to be interrupted by these visitors from another planet, also known as Glasgow. Um, I mean, one of the things that attracted it to me, me to the story personally is that my father's from Glasgow. He's the sort of Matt Mason type. Uh, and my mother is from Ayrshire, like Beth, like where Danny lives. And so for me, um, I must have identified with Liam as someone being in the middle of these two, uh, I think, uh, identified in a loose way, I should say, not a very uh, uh, real way. We were very, very fortunate to get Liam interested um, because uh, Stephen, I think, had known him from an earlier movie. And uh, one of the key things in casting that Susie Figgis tried to do and Stephen was trying to do and David, obviously a lot of the, the film is, is not spoken, you know, it's not uh, in the words, it's about the movements of bodies and of... Um, uh, so, so I would like to think more American in that, in that way. It's about bodies in space, it's about... Um, it's not so much the verbal ding-dong of things. And Liam is, is in reality, a sort of Danny Schooler kind of guy. He is, Liam is a gentle giant. He was a boxer. Uh, he has his broken nose, which uh, is one of his trademark features. And you can see in the, the film, uh, he has a kind of rough, ready, you know, charm about him. But he's tough, but he's also very tender. He's very... Uh, articulate emotionally. And that's one of the great things, I think, in McIlvany's uh, book, uh, and I hope in the, the film, even though, uh, you know, they're all, always slightly approximate versions. You know, it's like, always like doing a film from a book is like doing a, a building made from a painting or something. I mean, it's just a different thing. You know, you're going to do different things with it, and it's going to be public and... Uh, a place that people enter and move around rather than something that people might admire or uh, be touched by in that way. Um, but uh, so we're very lucky to get Liam and uh, when he's waiting for these guys, um, 
uh, after we feel the sort of tension uh, coming up. Uh, but Matt Mason is interested in winners and losers. Uh, he is not about um, values and uh, you know the uh, honour that uh, Danny Schiller uh, has and possesses. Um, Frankie, the Billy Connolly character, I always liked him as the uh, kind of audience's entry into the story is that, you know, the, the Frankie character is um, uh, uh, used to have honours, used to have principles, but frankly, right now, they don't really serve him very well. So he's quite capable of having, serving a different master and being a kind of um, uh, messenger between... Liam's world, Danny Schooler's one world of uh, uh, dignity and honour, even in failure and defeat, and Matt Mason's world of um, uh, money, hardness, cruelty, you know, the future, basically, of uh, the community. But, um, oh my gosh, it's Peter Mullen. <laughs> I realised he was a... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the other thing that when I read the book made a difference to me was that it seemed a very uh, American story. Um, if I put that, that it, it gave dignity and character to people who were not always afforded dignity and character in British uh, books or, or films. Uh, there's a, I always thought there was a kind of epic, tragic nature to Danny Schooler's life, to, to Liam's character. And um, as I think the best of American films, the best of American books do to people from, you know, regular places and regular lives and regular careers, you know. Um, so I always liked that about the book. And uh, uh, I think when the film came out, people were sometimes a little... Uh, shocked that we, you know, we seem to have kind of broken some rules, some unstated rules about what you could do with British characters or Scottish characters. Because um, obviously with the Morricone score, the kind of operatic things later on in the the film, I think felt that there was quite a... Um, uh, you're giving these humble people um, a slightly more elevated uh, uh, treatment. Um, normally much more about the Ken Loach uh, thing of being very muted and very low-key and very um, uh, not uh, approaching the sort of epic uh, world. Uh, uh, I mean, Ken Loach is a fantastic director, but you know, not, not every story, it seems to me, should be a Ken Loach story if you're dealing with these people. The nat naturalistic world has its limits, so I, I like the mixture of styles and the mixture of different um, uh, approaches that are in here. You can see Joanne Wally as uh, Beth, the wife waiting for uh, Danny to return. Um, again, one of the problems in writing the screenplay like this is uh, for a lot of the story, you know, you're really with Danny and what he's doing up in um, Glasgow and when he gets involved in the, uh, the plot and everything. And you have very little time with uh, Beth, but really you have to have a lot of time with her to make the story uh, work. 
you can see Danny's coming home with a £50 note and everything. And um, uh, he's a man who hasn't had much money, hasn't brought home much money, and uh, he's just thrilled, you know. So um, she's obviously much more suspicious than uh, than him, but um, uh, you can see there how she looks at it and uh, is a little uh, alarmed, to say the least. Um, like that money can't have come from a good place she's immediately suspicious yes that <clears throat> it must be ill-gotten gains because they, he, she knows he hasn't come by honestly if he's been at a pub or something yes yeah very hard to give a character like beth an inner life in a because obviously you get that in the book but how do you go about sort of translating that to the screen to show well, that she's the, a three-dimensional the, person you, you try it but you really what it is you uh you leave it up to the actors that's what you really try to do um i'd written a draft of the screenplay and we were very lucky to get david uh, attached and uh i think the first draft of the screenplay was uh which i'd done you know for Stephen. Uh, uh, it was much more, I suppose you'd call it much more directly sort of noirish screenplay, more like The Killers in a sense, that it was very much about um, uh, these guys coming to get someone and going to be killed and about um, going back and working out how he'd got to this point where he was going to approach his death, all that kind of stuff. Um, and what David managed to do with it, uh, uh, having been an actor and a writer and a director himself, all, all three things, he, he told me very clear things, which is, um, in the end, it's going to be the actors saying these things. And the great th- motivation of an actor, whatever, if you're doing Shakespeare or uh, Monty Python or uh, The Big Man or anything, the great motivation of an actor is any in any scene is to steal the scene from the other actor. That's the great secret that, that David gave. And so his way, as an actor, his thing was to try and cut the script down and the dialogue down to an absolute minimum. Uh, and his way, as he said, to give the actors uh, as little um, uh, scope to become florid or exaggerated or to try and steal the scene. So he just, so David tried to, um, uh, you know, cut things back, make it much more spare. Um, and in the end, the actors... Uh, Lo and behold, in a movie, they, they they do what they do. You know, they exist as three-dimensional bodies in space with eyes, and you know, and you can see in Joanne Wally and uh, and Liam Neeson, they're they're um, they're very what you, what I would call movie actors. You know, they're very uh, you you look at their faces and you can read what they're thinking and um, feeling, uh, and so. You know, as the screenwriter, if if you can get the scenes in the right order and then take take as much dialogue as possible out, you're on a... I let them do what they do, you know. Uh, which, the older I get, I'm still more and more amazed by what they do, which is really a kind of magical um, transformation of inner thoughts and feelings into outward uh, uh, facial expressions, physical movements. Um, 
And you're always happy to sort of gift that to the film because it seems like a generous thing for a screenwriter well, to say that the, the words can be <laughs> yes, paired back because the movie stars will take over. Experience has taught me that if actors can do it without you uh, uh, writing the damn thing for them, they're much better at it than you are generally. I mean, a writer's job, I used to... Uh, actually, you, you try and conceive these things as being uh, where you are the centre of the creation and you're the centre of the story. But, of course... Uh, in a movie, especially a movie like this, you you're very you have to be very collaborative and uh, uh, really invite the actors into the world. That's your job to to get them into the characters to to take the characters out of the novel to put them on the page where the story and the movements and the emotions become easy for them to see and to feel. You know, and then if they do feel it, if the the scenes are moving in the right way they, they can do what they do and uh, I think many more people than me have said the great screenwriter the greatest screenwriters are those who know how to get out of the way you know um, uh, you know obviously you don't always like to do that but um, uh, it is uh, generally uh, best to, to try and do that so here we have Liam and Joanne and the, uh, the loving couple uh, and Val Kilmer's just standing off camera yeah. somewhere, is he? <laughs> yes, Making he sure things been, don't get to you. The whole thing might have been amazing if we cast Val as the Matt Mason character. That would be... Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, we have little flashes all the while of this... Um, uh, the scenes out in Spain, they're very different to Ayrshire. Here's uh, Frankie, Billy Connolly's Frankie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, it was great. I actually wrote a lot of the stuff for Frankie because because you realised that once Billy was there, he could just you know he could do a three hour show. But I'm very pleased to say I did write a lot of this stuff, and of course he was able to improvise in his own uh, unique way. Um, and uh, one of the, I really like uh, Billy's performance in this. I don't think he got much recognition for it, and obviously it meant a lot for him. He came back to do it, especially. It was very um, he he knew uh, William McIlvany, he knew this area, he knew these people. I mean, they were his people. And um, it meant a lot to him. So I don't think his performance got as much praise as it should. Because Frankie's a great guy, because he's very, very cheeky. He's full of bullshit. You know, he's uh, he kind of has no principles at all. He's just trying to make ends meet. And yet, uh, he's both very, very funny, and um, uh, people still love him, you know, because he has this uh, kind of uh, innocent uh, air about him. You know, through the story, we realise he's not quite as innocent like, but, but Billy is um, someone who knows how, how the world works and the reality of um, uh, the world. Um, I mean, this, this is all um, stuff from the time these uh, broken down places when they were, you know, bringing, closing everything down in Britain and bringing in the coal from China. I mean, now with all the green, um, uh, you know, uh, plans for uh, to do it with coal, it's like something from another era, obviously. But uh, um, the main thing that happened, I mean, the miners struggling everything and the opposition to it were, Definitely not about any green strategy, that's for sure. Uh, it was about uh, 
giving these communities a real kick and uh, you know getting them down pinning them down and keeping them down I still feel you know many many years later we're left with the the aftermath of all this right now all these communities that were uh, destroyed beached and left with nothing are uh, still fractured and broken busted like the buildings were uh, and this was made at a similar time, you know, we we were like a decade into the, a Tory yes, government. Yes, and you see that everything is and just kind of endless, to, You know, to, to us who are making the film. I mean, one of my pet um, hates is too uh, much. I always conceived of the uh, this story as being tragic and fateful and... Um, uh, obviously it's hopefully humorous and funny and all these kind of things as well but that it was really I saw the minor strike and people involved it it was a tragic um, you know Greek sense you know it was a major collapse it was a war and there were winners and losers so I always saw it like that and one of the, my pet peeves uh, is that the film was the film Monty it was brassed off and then Billy Elliot, um, all of which are, you know, incredibly successful <laughs> films. Uh, I always thought it was really strange that you would use all these things for essentially comedies, like comedies, um, and like a, a sort of ealing comedies almost. I was, I was just amazed by that. It just didn't tally me with what had just happened, what I'd seen, you know. It's a romanticisation that, that feels inappropriate. Well, in it way. was that, uh, yeah, it was that all this shit has happened, but, you know, people are people, people will muddle through, people will pick up the fragments from the ruins and they'll make their breast bands and they'll do their striptease and the striptease, well, it might have been humiliating, but in the end it brings everyone together and, you know, and Billy Elliot, you know, I mean, Lee Hall as a writer, he's up. His, his family was the mining family, but I mean, to me, it, it is. Um, uh, I guess the the ballet story out of the miners' strike is just strange to me. I mean, that you know, the Phil Monty and Billy Elliot are two of the most successful films and stage shows of the past thirty, forty years. But that always seemed to me like like the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical version of it you know I, I just didn't fit with me um, uh, you know maybe I'm just more um, uh, you know dark minded about these things but um, uh, yeah, I just couldn't quite uh, believe in that because also because as far as I could see it certainly wasn't happening on the ground you know in these in these areas uh, people's stories were much more tragic and busted and I mean it really and it's still with us you know Newcastle uh, Yorkshire you know all these areas are uh, politically divided um, very very beaten down Uh, there's a whole you know extra two extra generations come through then who are not interested in the you know old history you know so um, but it was definitely made at a time when <clears throat> this was really fresh in all our memories, and um, uh, I think we all wanted to 
to do something that tried to was really our response to um, not what had happened directly, but but trying to uh, put it into a sort of cinematic world that we recognised of um, uh, you know grasping at opportunities, drugs, money. When when all your principles are defeated and your and your resistance is low and your families are busted, uh, you don't have too many options, you know. And this this is in, in a very simple way just a story of what happens when you see when people make the wrong choice, the right choice or the wrong choice. You know, you don't know. It's um, but yeah, people. You know, they, there's not many sort of colliery brass bands or um, you know striptease uh, troops or uh, ballet schools in Ayrshire at this time, from what I could see. Um, this this feels like it's an invented scene. Was this necessary yes, because was, you, yes. you felt that you needed to show that he was trying to pursue yes, honest work, yes, but he wasn't yes, getting anywhere? Yes, it, they're just very quick uh, scenes where you just kind of, um, when you're trying to piece the uh, the story, the f- you, you realise that you... you you, if you go too quickly from one thing to the other, you uh, you miss out um, reasons why they do things. So it was, but instead of taking up the bet straight away and just going straight into training, and you know you realize you he had to waver a little and then then go back into it. I think, uh, and also so to show that when you reach the end, there's much worse things, much more violent things happening. You you don't realize. Oh, why didn't he just? Get a proper job, or why didn't he do? You know, these are things that um, it feels like it's something that's there to answer a question that the audience may yeah, be posing uh, as they're, they're watching. You would be correct in thinking, yeah. That, yes, and also, I mean, you pushed the the backstory. He's he's actually been to prison. Yes, he says yes. I've got a political record, not yes. a criminal record, which is yes. a really interesting distinction, yes. isn't it? Now, yes. looking back on the miners' strike yes. thirty years later, I mean, you, you know, know was, you know, what can we say? I mean, it's, it's still all coming out about how the. The police um, were politicised during this period. They were under direct orders. They were uh, uh, picking people out of the lines and putting them, uh, arresting them. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's dreary to have to go through how bad it was. But, uh, uh, you know, it was, um, uh, it was happening all around. And it's... Um, uh, I, I was just always surprised there weren't more films about this uh, this world, this sort of reality, and this, uh, uh, you know, the um, the choices that people faced. You know, um, what did we have? We had boys from the black stuff, maybe in the well, because that was terrific. Yeah, I mean that for, was for television. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the sort Again, of. I saw boys from the black stuff. I mean, oh, Bleasdale is fantastic, and boys from the black stuff is fantastic. I mean. You know, again, David Leland when he was a writer and everything, a lot of his made in Britain and um, a lot of fantastic work for the World Court and uh, uh, TV and uh, you know I think what a lot of his his other written plays and uh, films have they have a a sort of a, a a shared anger and humor, which also is in Alan Bleasdale things very much so. Uh, with you know Yosser Hughes, I think it is in what is the black stuff. You know, gives a job, gives a job, mm-hmm. gives a job, until he goes mad. You know, but he's still a very funny character. I mean, he literally makes you laugh. And um, 
you know, we may not uh, have got in the same uh, ballpark with this, but... but I feel I, like I for television, there was kind of less pressure from the American side, whereas film yes. in this period seemed to be very influenced by what would play in America. Yes, yes. I think in, the, in our case, I mean, I, I might be wrong, but I, I think it wasn't so much um, our ideas of what might play in America. We wanted to make it like, not like a British film. We wanted to give it, as I say, this, um, what we would see as a, the good things of an American movie, you know, um, that it can be about people with tough lives and, uh, you know, tough times, but it can be funny, uh, it can be exciting, it can be, um, you know, kind of Friday night kind of movie as opposed to something that uh, we'd just show to um, uh, friends and so forth. I think, uh, right, I can't remember the exact review, but I always laughed about this with Steve Woolley and David, there was a, uh, I think it was from the Telegraph or something, which said, I can't remember the exact quote, but it, it said something when the review, uh, who and he hated it, of course, the film, he said, but he said, oh, this is another Palace production, you know, a typical kind of uh, uh, CD crime, low characters, um, loud music, blowjobs, uh, all set off with a sort of veneer of left-wing politics, and I remember Stephen and I, oh yeah, fast cars, fast cars and blowjob. And um, I remember Stephen myself looking at each other and saying, oh, that sounds pretty good. You know, I'd like to see that, you know. So indeed, it, you know, fast cars, blowjobs, uh, violent crime and, uh, you know, with a veneer of left-wing politics. Yeah. This has more slow cars. Yes, yes. has more yes, slow yes. driving than any yes. other film in history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the sinisterness... Yes. It's like a black horse yes. with a rider yes. coming in, isn't it? Yeah. You, you talk about film noir, but, but you haven't mentioned the Western aspects of it. Well, again, that's, you know, that's implicit in the thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I suppose the film noirish thing is more about you know, the mix-up of time and the mix-up of uh, uh, the, sort of, uh, the sort of sexy beast aspect of it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they must have seen this and uh, got the idea for sexy beast, but, you know... That could be Ray Winston, I guess, in um, uh, in Sexy Beast. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a sort of a high noonish aspect to it. Um, and obviously, Frankie's always talking about like cowboys and the yes, Wild West and, yes, and being yes, in America and stuff. Yes. He's kind of making it flesh in a way, yes, isn't he? Even though he's only there for a weekend. Yes, <laughs> and uh, Frankie's a kind of American import um, who. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's been up to see, off to see the New World and so on. Of course, coming back to where he's from, it's anything but the New World, you know. Um, I think, again, there was a... You know, it went over... It wasn't a big hitter by any means in America, but a lot of people liked it and got it there. And I think at one point, um, Disney were interested in doing a, you know, a sort of remake, a, you know, with a sort of Bruce Springsteen soundtrack and uh, all that kind of stuff. So Born in the USA kind of... Stuff. And I, I guess it was those kind of uh, things that were on our mind. I guess those things did play into what we were thinking of. But um, uh, of course, it remains a very British uh, story, especially in things like this. But, um, uh, you know, this was just a time when there was nothing in these places and the, 
he kind of just wanted to show um, uh, the places were capable of you know fighting back, albeit in a um, a way which is ultimately defeated again. You know, um, I mean, one of the things that attracted me to the the story and to Danny's character and the people around him was the you know, the emotional thing of defeat is very hard to take, and the all these communities and people were absolutely um, defeated. You know, there's no doubt about that. It, it was a historic defeat and uh, they were left with nothing. But of course, people survive, people um, make connections, people are very resilient. Um, but of course, what the irony of this being that all these emotions and uh, defiance and resilience in the end are directed to something which is meaner and nastier than anything you'd uh, have thought of, you know. Um, you see Liam's misgivings there. You realise yeah. that he's he's like the, the rock star who doesn't want the fame and he, all yes. in his face yes. without really yes. speaking a word. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He, I mean, Liam is... He sells it totally, doesn't he? Yeah, because he, he is the sort of uh, the gentle giant, as they say. This is great. I mean, David Cassidy's great people... Um, as uh, this is the paid assassin, I think, uh, who must be the most uh, uh, anti-typecast. Uh, he's brilliant. He looks like he should be playing foreign office types yes, exactly. or uh, accountant. Yeah, well, or... David has a very um, dry very... sense of humour. Yeah, he's so, clever. So, um, uh, you know, and with the Ian Bannon, who has a very gentle kind of side to him, but also a very menacing uh, side. Um Yeah, I mean, for me, the Billy Connolly character, Frank, is um, very funny for me in these uh, situations, you know, because uh, the Danny character, Liam, is very, um, uh, you know, ultimately very serious and, uh, you know, he, he carries around the hopes of uh, not only himself, but his um, wife and family and his community. And Frank is just such a, uh, you know, a devious um, uh, kind of uh, guy. I know they were criticised in this thing because when he comes to Glasgow and um, uh, you know he looks out, sees these uh, the mean streets of Glasgow and the tenements and uh, uh, you know I think people from Glasgow are saying oh it's disgraceful you know showing Glasgow like this but unfortunately actually that's what Glasgow looked like <laughs> you know I mean you could. You could, you could say it was city of culture at the time, which indeed it was, but there's an awful lot of Glasgow that was still like that. So um, it was hard to um, <laughs> always find cheerful uh, uh, sections of Glasgow to set uh, the story, that's very true. Um, yeah, I love all these uh, gym uh, sequences, you know, just trying to make um, a fighter out of this guy. Um, Billy Connolly brings an, a charisma to Frankie that I don't feel was there in the book. Frankie's yeah. a chancer in the yes. book and he doesn't have a lot of sympathy, yeah. but you love Billy so much, yes. you can't help it, yes. that you sort of forgive him more yes. in the film in a way, don't well, you? I, I, I mean, one of my favourite things as a writer, and I, I don't know why I'm interested in it, but I, I like to try and get people that you um, uh, initially wouldn't like and try to understand them and what motivates them and trying to feel... Uh, if they're not, you like them, but you can identify with where they're from. I mean, a lot of, you know, I'm, 
um, I'm not a, a God knows I'm not a miner or a laborer or anything else like that. But you know, I like it that in this you you kind of see where uh, what people have and how they can develop and how they they go against all their expectations or their um, earlier options or everything. Uh, again, this, you know, for me, I, I always loved these um, 40s uh, boxing noir films, you know, the Kirk Douglas in Champion, I think it is, and uh, um, because really they're a it's a it's a world that's been lost. People don't often make films about this sort of stuff now. You know, it's a very masculine world about masculine virtues, uh, masculine ethos, um, and uh, the sort of sensitivities and problems that emerge from that. I mean, obviously, it's um, you'd be asking a lot for people to see the sensitivities in boxing. You know, people say that's that's a definition of uh, insensitivity but well he becomes corrupted in champion indeed you you see in the journey of that character he really does lose his humanity in a way that that danny very nearly does as well but yes uh but i always like these things of people coming into the you know uh william mcavani's brother hugh mcavani was a great great sports journalist and he was an especially good writer about boxing and football that i that i knew of you know, I don't even like boxing uh, as a sport at all, but uh, Hugh McElvaney was a terrific writer, and I don't know um, which of the two brothers was more um, involved in that, the sort of, the, uh, if you can call it, the sort of poetic aspects of it. And um, here, as with, uh, frankly, the more distracted kind of uh, random uh, elements of his um, uh, bullshit, this is all me in New York, of course. This is what I remember being in New York. And my uncle, um, who was from Glasgow, uh, from uh, Ibrox, he always used to go to America and tell me amazing stories about going to America and um, you know having fifteen different types of eggs and uh, uh, you know one of the things about Glasgow that my um, I mean, my grandfather, I, I never met, he was a, 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 a tailor's shop in the docks in Govan. And uh, uh, one of the things that was clear for all the families there, and you know, my family's from uh, near Govan, uh, is that you looked out not to London, but you looked out to America. You know, that's where the, the ships came from. That's where the ships went to. That's where the wealth came from. Um, and... Uh, you know, Glasgow is very um, uh, close. In a, when America, my uncle used to say, there was was it Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford arrived in Glasgow? You know, from uh, on the Queen Mary or whatever it was, and the idea that film stars would arrive in Glasgow and be greeted by this kind of a city that had similar architecture to Chicago and those places, people don't have the sense of that now, but they, you know, people from Glasgow do, or at least did anyway. Um, but I like Billy's uh, just very cheeky uh, kind of um, constant undermining of um, uh, the sort of uh, honourable path. Um, that felt like a little bit of a contrivance there, if I can say, where he sees Beth 
with Gordon because in the book obviously it's it's um another character completely who's who's been watching you know has been spotting Beth and yeah, I just thought oh they, you've you've sold the coincidence there that he kind of comes back to take but because he's bringing the dog back yes 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 I mean it, you sell it con, con, with your good grace oh, coincidence oh, yes. I, I, yeah I should say not contrivance <laughs> <laughs> it's um it gets the job done doesn't it yes you know? yeah a lot of these things are um uh embarrassingly um uh bodged and have to be fixed and all this but um I but but it does it does it very very cleanly. Yes, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. To, because I I think in the in the screenplay it's quite hard to sell where Beth is in her relate potential relationship yes. with Gordon, and you kind yeah, of reinvented yeah, that yeah, in a way, yeah, made it yeah, partly the yeah, parents that yeah. were pushing her towards yeah. him, and that's right. I mean, it's um I can't even remember how much of this is in the book, but it's well, she is having an affair with yes. yeah, and she there's was, obviously she was the, he was the one. Um, uh, Obviously, the parents think she should have married, you know. Right. Hugh Grant had his uh, pert, uh, youthful <laughs> best here. Um, Hugh Grant, he was so, so funny. I mean, we were lucky to get him. I think he wanted to do something um, not, not against type, but certainly a different type of film that he would be in. Um, but, of course, he is inevitably Hugh Grant, that's for sure. But... Um, uh, he was so funny during the uh, production. To have uh, Hugh Grant and Billy Connolly uh, uh, on different days, um, that was a, uh, an essay in contrast, let us say. But he was very funny, Hugh Grant, and he is very funny. Um, he was much more like the characters he now plays, you know, very um, uh, sort of uh, cynical and uh, world-weary. World but he was still in, in his sort of pretty boy phase. Uh, I always loved that shot and the um, the thing of all these uh, uh, sort of mythical kind of uh, characters. Um, yeah, Ian Bannon is an interesting actor as well. I think David saw him as Iago in uh, in Othello, in the Royal Shakespeare Company, because he has he's got a very very gentle. Uh, demeanor, very gentlemanly demeanor, but he has a and he has a lot of mischief and impishness. But he has a real um, kind of gleam in his eyes, which is from completely from somewhere else. And uh, I can imagine him playing Iago, and uh, you know, um, uh, if we had got Sean Connery, of course, it would be a different balance between the the characters. You know, Sean Connery would have been like God, literally, you know, arriving and uh, um, would obviously have uh, been a sort of um, uh, match for Liam's, um, uh, I guess, his masculinity, you know. Uh, in Bannon, as an actor, is more of a sort of uh, spritish figure, more um, uh, sort of um, keeps things hidden and uh, keeps things... Uh, uh, Connery would would obviously have been a more um, uh, more of an obvious uh, match for the two, but um, did it come close? Uh, well, I think Stephen was uh, very keen to uh, uh, to get uh, Connery um, for all sorts of different reasons. I mean, Connery has uh, you know the films the more 
going and dirty films that he did, uh, you know, like The Offence and all these kind of things, and The Hill. And I mean, he's terrific in those things, you know. And um, uh, I think Stephen was uh, maybe hoping for, you know, a sort of Mona Lisa type of casting coup, you know, to get Michael Caine in Mona Lisa, <coughs> which David had co-written, I think, at that time, and Neil Jordan directed. Um, the idea of making it work... Uh, where you start to see someone like Michael Caine or indeed Sean Connery in um, the sort of parts that they've kind of come from and, you know, again, for whatever reasons, uh, uh, Connery uh, didn't do it. But uh, strangely, I um, I worked with him much later on a couple of films and, uh, uh, you know, he remembered the, the, the script and I, I think he just said he didn't want to do that. The drug associations in the thing, he didn't want to you know, uh, uh, go down that road uh, at that time, so. He might have done The Untouchables instead at this same point ah, because yes, that came out in possible. 1990 yeah. as well. Oh, right, so. yeah. Well, you know, and Sean always had his... Um, now, this is the opposite of Save the Cat. This yes. is like Billy Connolly kills the dog. It's like, <laughs> what it tries to. It's like, what? Well, we, were, we, were, we were trying to do, obviously, all the most unpopular kind of scenes you could do in a movie about... Uh, miners, uh, boxing, um, you know, tough men, Glasgow, uh, killing pets, you know. Uh, obviously, if there was a, uh, a list of things you're not supposed to do, we kind of tried to cram as many in as, uh, uh, as we could. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Liam looks great. Uh, you can tell that the suit... It fits him very well, but you could tell he's just ill at ease in it, you know. Um, yeah, he's a fish out of water, definitely, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, you know, you can tell that he's not to the man of Loose born. moorings, I think, is the... I mean, I think in the first draft, it was definitely that we had much more kind of... Um, he was much... He, he lost his moorings very quickly and was a very bad boy very quickly for much longer and, and went way out of, <laughs> you know, he, he went a long, long far away from where he was, you know, and was more, um, was keener on going far away once he got a taste for it, you know. Um, and I guess we pulled that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to make that, uh, uh, I think there were a lot more sort of nightclubs and um, uh, loud music and, uh, you know, just, going wild and crazy in uh, uh, nightclubs. But um, that, that sort of stuff was, uh, was pulled back. But McIlvany talks about that, that, that once people get a taste for success of one kind or another, whether, it, you know, um, honestly come by or not, that they yes. turn their back on where yes. they came from and yes. disparage it yes. And, yes. and basically forget <clears throat> their, yeah. their roots. So it feels right that he doesn't go yes. that far because yes. the character is committed to his roots. Again, on the, um, during the shoot, you know, Billy Connolly was uh, in Glasgow and um, uh, yeah, for him it was a very bittersweet experience because uh, strangely he came back without his hair and his beard, you know, and, uh, and he said that I think for the first few days he was able to go around pubs, he used to, and people, literally people didn't used to recognise him because he's got a lot, a lot of friends still there and um, he he would report back that uh, you know he, he's no fool he knows he's a different person than, than the person who worked in the 
shipyards. But what he was amazed by, and I think he didn't shy away from, he would have quarrels with people who um, in Glasgow were very directly, you know, calling him out for becoming who he was and hanging out with the royal family or well, whatever it was, you know, there was always something. And um, basically a lot of people were taking a pop at him, you know, through the shoot. And, uh, you know, I think he tried to uh, keep um, keep it... Um, uh, I think, not that he was hurt by that, because he was used to it, but he was uh, he was like wondering how long this was going to go on for him, you know, that uh, he, he never, ever <clears throat> turned his back on who he was. That's been his whole act. But of course, he wasn't that person. He said, well, can I not just move out of, you know, what I was, you know, 20, 30 years ago? Are we, are we not allowed to do that? You have to go on constantly. But, so it was, it was quite tough for him because he'd... Um, lived a life that was uh, quite unique and he never turned his back on where he was from but it, he he definitely in a lot of quarters was not welcome you know he was seen as someone who had um, abandoned Scotland and abandoned you know uh, people who were left behind so it was quite difficult for him I think There's a line in the book where it says, um, Danny is like a party to which everyone is invited. Yes. And it's quite wonderful that when he's in his element in the pub, yeah. and he's obviously, he's already kind of like something more to these people than he, than he yes. becomes. Yeah. But then you see him at the other party and you realise, yeah. oh my gosh, this is a party that he's been sort of, you know, inappropriately. He's incongruous there, even in yes. his nice suit and everything, isn't yes. he? You can see his, his out of placeness, <laughs> you know. I mean, frankly, this makes me... Oh, laughing it's just such uh, a good value thing um, <laughs> he sells out Danny straight away I mean again the other I mean the, that hammering the, the thing of um, you know dividing the world into winners and losers you know which, and that that's the world we're in now so this is one of the earlier uh, chartings of that um, uh, you know it's um, uh, oh, this is a great scene. This is from the book, but um, slightly altered in casting, you know. Yeah, that's this a nice a bit of progressive guy. casting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Comparing the Scottish heroes, you know, the inventors and the discoverers. Yeah, yeah. Fleming yeah. and Logie yeah. Baird. Yeah. All the hits. I mean, that's because David had such a, um, uh, and he and Billy shared a very uh, sort of mischievous idea about doing a film set in Scotland and Glasgow and everything. You know, it's um, very ironic and, you know, very subverting of, you know, what they're supposed to be and everything. So, um, uh, yeah, because I think when it came out, there were two there were two different criticisms. But one's that it was, um, uh, you know, uh, not Scottish enough, you know, that it was trying to be American or whatever it was. And then the other one that was too Scottish, it was like, so I, I, I don't know, um, you know, what the, um, what the happiness, uh, how the happy medium would have been. But, uh, <clears throat> I mean, the kids are, <clears throat> uh, 
quite important that they say, although they don't get much, uh, you know, in terms of the story, but uh, if I can dot around a bit, the one of the endings that we were going to have was, um, uh, oh, maybe I should, I should talk about that at the end, I guess, we'll, we'll get to the ending. Because there were very different endings, and the kids were part of an ending which uh, uh, we changed and so forth. Yeah, you can talk about it now. Um, one of the things that was originally going to happen was that the, it wasn't so much a suspense of what was going to happen with the guy. You knew he was going to be defeated in the end. and uh, um, So it was, it was a thing of... <laughs> sorry, it just makes me laugh, this guy. Uh, it was a thing of uh, how, how was he defeated? What, what were the steps along this line that this guy... And... Um, uh, towards the end when they were going to come and um, get him um, uh, you kind of knew he was going to be killed uh, and the, the way it works at the moment is a, there's a it's sort of a slightly it seems to be cut short kind of version of the ending because one of the things that we had was that um, uh, Matt Mason comes up to uh, comes up again to the, the close you know where they are the, where the house is and the car, and it's, I think it was at Christmas, and uh, you know Danny and his wife and his kids were back at uh, the home, and uh, Matt Mason gets out of the car, and the, the kids are out there, and uh, he says, "Oh, uh, you know, is Santa going to come? You know, so oh, I got a wee thing for you from uh, Father Christmas, you know," and the uh, his guys get out of the car and go into the house and uh, shoot. Tenny, you know, dead. so they just get rid of them like that. And obviously this was a pretty dark uh, ending. Uh, Matt Mason as the uh, the ultimate sort of bad centre, but that he just didn't care, you know, he was just going to, if you cross him, he's going to get away. So the, the ending as is, is slightly um, sort of, to me, rather lopsided, that there was always going to be this other more... Um, uh, darker or doom laden uh, thing, which you could end it um, optimistically if you thought it was going to be very dark, or you could end it very dark, and you know that would. Uh, well, the, well, the book kind of ends pregnant, doesn't it? It doesn't yes. tell you that Matt's yes. coming. We know that no. he's the kind of guy who would hide in your coal right. shed yes. for a week just that's to get right. you. Yeah. But yeah. he never actually comes yeah. to get Danny. Yes. It's just that's right. you know, there's a bloke at the pub, and we're all going to be ready for him when he yes. comes. Yes. And he leaves it um, hanging as to what's going to happen. But uh, I think in a movie you have to... It, I mean, in a movie you can't really yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Um, so those things were were changing around in all the... Uh, I mean, Beth's journey is really interesting in the sense that she is getting a glimpse of what her other life can be in the same at the same time that Danny is. Yeah, I mean, really. when, I, when I see it just now, I mean, it is that... It's, Amongst the many things, I mean, maybe a little ambitious, but it's kind of the story of a marriage, and it's in a sense that they both have these. Uh, um, they're kind of essentially separated and finding out who they are, what they want, what they don't want, and uh, on these different routes. But they're, but they're, they're essentially that their lives have been um, uh, interrupted, disrupted, and they're they're without a compass anymore, without each other, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean. It, there's lots of different stories going on in it. Um, 
you know, how successfully, obviously we, we hope it's successful, but obviously it jars on uh, some things. But um, uh, I love Frankie with his dog, you know, it's sort of rooted to him as the, um, the sort of symbol of his incompetence as well as his um, ability to talk himself out of an impossible situation. Um, but I like Liam in this scene, um, all cool and casual and uh, a bit of a bad boy. You know, you see that look on his face and they, they're just not impressed at all. And he... Uh... You were here. You were on, on location at the time when this was being made, yeah, right? Yeah, most of it. Not, not all of it, but yeah. most of it. Yeah. Was this in Govan? Oh, this, God, the gym? I can't remember where, where it was. It would have been near there. I mean, it might have been there or it might have been in the East End. I'm not sure exactly where it was. But a lot of the, I don't think in this scene, but a lot of the, the, the people in the um, uh, in the boxing sequence at the end were definitely from that world, you know. Um, again, we were um, criticised a lot for giving this portrayal of Glasgow. This was the old Glasgow that, that Glasgow was wanting to escape from. But lo and behold, of course, when we were trying to find people to make it realistic, we found plenty of people enough who were telling you, well, yeah, it was just happening down their place. You know, it was, essentially it's about gambling. You know, it's about making money that you can't trace. And um, yeah, because he's like a, he sees himself as a circus animal in this. Yeah, he's kind of all in at this point, isn't he? Yeah. He's like, right, he's okay, great, I'll be your monkey, great I'll be your face, Liam. You know. Yeah. And they're just seeing absolutely nothing, you know. Did you know Liam from his work before this? Because he was on the rise, but yeah, he hadn't yeah, really popped. Steve, Stephen was. It uh, happened fast Stephen after, after that. Liam. Yes, he was Liam's. Uh, he adored Liam as an actor. I think he'd done. Um, well, he'd done quite a few small films uh, in the lead. Um, because any any film where he where he wasn't in the lead, you thought well he should be in the lead because he's got such a, a presence uh, on screen. And Joanne Wally was going through a different you know a strange part of her career. She'd I think just married Val Kilmer, so she was off in L.A. doing things which she uh, you know she you know she was um, on that kind of track, but she uh, like this. She's like these. She's, you'd come from doing work like this and. Uh, was trying to get back to it a bit more, you know. And this is great. I always ad- admired you and David for th- and Stephen f- for this scene <laughs> because um, it's where she's, she has an almost kind of... I mean, I, I love the fact that she looks like Margaret Thatcher as well and yes, she's kind yes. of obviously... They're, they're a couple of old Tories, you yes. know, and she's saying, no, this is the reality of what the minor strike yeah, was like, actually yeah. literal starving, people yeah. starving. Yeah. And then Hugh Grant says, well, I suppose it was inevitable. Yes. You know, he's yeah, kind of... Yeah. Uh, and, she, and her disgust yes, with Gordon yes. at this point yeah. is uh, among the French fancies. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of palpable, isn't it? She's disgusted by the yeah. excess. Yeah. Well, of course, my my family were, um, you know, a sort of very dying breed of all uh, the last uh, Scottish Tories, you know, um, uh, you know, which is pretty amazing, you know. But I, I know my my father, you know, in my uncle's version of his story, in his youth, he was very um, 
uh, you know, ILP, Independent Labour Party, and all that kind of stuff. And then his father uh, essentially lost all his money and everything in the Depression. And uh, after that, you know, my dad became more like the Matt Mason kind of uh, character. He didn't want to be soft on anyone. He was fine to me, but he he, um, he became much more ruthless about things. He, he thought his father had been too soft and let people take advantage and in the end they lost everything so um, yeah it's um, Glasgow's not always uh, kind to uh, uh, people you know and it's funny when you see uh, Ian Bannon as Matt Mason doing this because he's really been incredibly gentlemanly you know uh, silver-haired, very, you know, nice jackets, good-natured. Um, he hasn't had to push things too much. And uh, I always like the, the sort of change uh, that he does, almost without effort, you know. Um, well, he doesn't have to prove himself anymore, yeah, does he? Yeah. he? You can see that he's yeah. already achieved yeah. that. Yeah, that malevolence is always yeah. there, but he's keeping it all inside. Yeah, you know, but you yeah. can feel the menace. Yeah, he's given Danny Again, a bit the, of a reality the, check. Here. That's right, the counter manipulation. You know. Yeah. But I always like the. Um, uh, I mean, Matt Mason is obviously kind of like the devil, but uh, you know, he's um, uh, as in the American movies. Uh, and in this one and many other ones, you know, these people exist. You know, they're not plucked out of the air of morality plays. You know, these uh, uh, you go to Manchester or Liverpool right now, this is all happening. You know, the county lines is still happening. You know, it's, um, mm-hmm. uh, it's not a pretty world, a lot of it. Uh, even in London, around where we are, you know, it's... Um, I always liked... Um, Billy's way of saying that's uh, that's what my uncle always used to say. Yeah, be positive, think positive. The American way, you know. <laughs> it used to drive me nuts. Yeah, this is the image that's on the French poster, which I always love. <laughs> wow, what a tableau. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the Last Supper. Yeah. Before the big fight, isn't it? I like that. And Ennio Morricone gives Beth her own yes. theme, yes. which also plays when she's not on screen, but yes. when Danny's thinking about her. Yeah. Yeah. And I really love that. You know, I mean, Ennio Morricone, if anything was going to give you a Western vibe, yeah, it's I just mean, ha- the very presence really of him. About him um, I, I guess. I mean... Uh, what a strange fit yes. for this. Well... It works perfectly, but... That's but, right. I mean, it was... A, uh, what a choice. through after they'd finished it. And... Um, uh, Stephen and David uh, went to Rome to see him, and I think there's a ritual with Morricone where you um, uh, everyone was, wanted to try and get him, um, and so oh, we turn everything down and all this kind of. So you had to offer more money and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, um, went to see him, and uh, to all our amazements, he said yes, uh, and you kind of wondered if it was 
just the money or if it, but he he particularly liked uh, this in the script and the film the idea of the the fight and the it's almost like a silent film for sort of six rounds and he thought with that and using the that they obviously there was a big space for music which you could then as you pointed out pull back the different themes and so that the fight is really the kind of musical center of the film and um uh, the center of all the other themes and stories that are all cut together um the now the stuff in spain is starting to you know we've we've seen it creeping in we don't really know what it all means yet but it's starting to kind of come to a to a head isn't it and the audience is kind of thinking well how does all this fit together it's very yeah. intriguing silent cutaways yeah well we're hoping that they're wondering how they're all fixed together <laughs> as opposed to it all being a baffling but uh <laughs> you know one of the things that's that I was like in stories and in characters and Danny Schiller's like this and Liam is great wow you know Cutter he was great oh Rab uh, Affleck yeah he's still active still yeah he's fantastic playing Hardman uh, yeah and it was the first time you see who Liam's up against and you think oh he's not gonna he's not gonna win this fight um uh Morris Reeves he's fantastic He's got a um, he's got an air of brick top from Snatch about yeah. him. I, I feel yeah. the, you know yeah. the way yeah. that he sort of carries himself. Yeah. And I mean that that was really the idea of the thing. Is uh, I think originally I was wanting it to be more fragmented. You know, uh, um, you know that it was not so much caught in the everyday details of the thing, but that it was more. Um, like in the fight and everything else, his whole life comes together on his ra- and he he does not really understand the the story that he is in. We're with him all the time, but the the real story of why the fight is happening, what's going on in the world, the politics of the thing, the the whole he does not understand any of this. He can't understand. It's, it's sort of beyond his. Um, he has no power to understand it because obviously it's the way how power works and uh, uh, everything. But one, you know, one of my favourite aspects of stories, uh, Jack Shepherd, who's a friend of David's, um, is, is that um, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know, which is a very kind of Scottish uh, idea. But um, I've always liked that thing is that when you're a good person and you're in a bad situation, you want to try and make things better. But what happens when you make the situation worse, you know? That seems to me always an interesting, dramatic thing. And it's it's true in a lot of the writers um, uh, I like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Emil Zola, you know, a lot of the great thriller writers, um, the great film noirs that we all love. Um, uh, even the, Dick, the Tale of Two Cities uh, film project I worked on is, you know, it's all about someone who uh, has to make sort of tough choices. Huh. The fight was... You um, read the, about the fight in the book, and it's incredible descriptions, I think, of the thing. And again, with this kind of transcendental thing of floating in and out of time 
as the fight is happening and with Danny and the other people. It's a very, as I recall, it's a very imagistic kind of um, uh, conjuring up of the fracturing of consciousness that happens in something like this. It's a kind of an amazing description. Um, and I, when I read it, I thought, wow, this is so cinematic, you know. And then when I came to write it, I remember thinking, oh, fuck, no one says anything. I mean, you have no idea. There's no <laughs> BBC commentator telling you what's, you know, Muhammad Ali's in the corner, he's recording. There's none of that. You have no fucking idea at all. I thought, how do you do this, you know? Well, this was the most cinematic thing of the whole thing. I, I completely lost it. How the fuck do you do this? And I remember realizing I had to do it as a, a sort of story in itself. I think it's it maybe six rounds, but you had to do it uh, with the beginning, a middle, and an end, like a, almost a silent film, so that they were. Um, and you can see in this how it's uh, it's very silent. People are against black, but the crowds fade away. You know, it's very um, uh, uh, not abstract, but it's very stylized and. I suppose it is uh, kind of operatic or theatrical in a, in a sense that um, uh, you had to make this, each round had to tell a different story and have a different sequence and a different end point. You know, uh, you had sort of like six micro narratives and using the all the images um, uh, so that they build and... Um, but <laughs> I remember... One of the big doubts that we always had was if we could make the fight as incredible on a film as it was in, on the page in the uh, novel. You know, it's obviously the heart of the film, you know, very uh, gruesome and chilling uh, uh, kind of performance of uh, all the themes that were going on in the film. And one of the great doubts was if we could make it as strong as that. And of course, when the film came out, and of course, a lot of people were a lot of people were amazed. That it was fantastic. But a lot of people were going, "Oh my God, this is like the most violent thing we've ever seen in a film." Um, and you know, you're partly a little horrified, but obviously, people were not expecting something like this. I mean, it's really strong. I mean, it's supposed to be strong, but people were. Um, yeah, it's the actual consequences of violence rather than the f- movie fantasy of violence, yeah, and that's what's shocking. Yeah. Yeah, and Isn't it? especially then. And all, you know, Liam is such a, a kind, sensitive, intuitively uh, empathetic actor and character all through this. And to suddenly see him transformed into this uh, more animalistic side where he's got to, you know, kill or be killed, you know, he's taking on all the things. Um, I, I think that's what people were affected by. It's like they didn't want to see Liam, who is, let's face it, a very pretty handsome guy. They didn't want to see him get hurt and, and or hurt someone. And um, this is suddenly where all the... I mean, love the way they shot this. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. It actually reminds me of an early Kubrick movie where he shot a ah, boxing yes. scene is it the kill-off the, the kill-off I think. Oh, the yeah. killing or the killer i can't remember which it is killer's kiss maybe. killer's kiss there exactly yeah. and he shoots it with these black yes. backgrounds yeah. and yeah. it's actually because he couldn't afford to have any extras yeah. to, to yeah. make up the yeah. crowd well, I, I think this might have been 
because uh, he won at some of these moments. But I think he'd photographed a boxing match yeah, for Life, Life magazine, yeah. and he used yeah. a very similar kind yeah. of, a very yeah. monochromatic. I mean, to my style. knowledge, there aren't photos of these events in Glasgow, and even, even if they did, you wouldn't necessarily want to. But the way these faces loom out of the darkness, exactly yeah. as they're described yeah. in the book, they're almost yeah. like. Sort I mean, you know that this is a tough. Uh, seen in a tough world. I mean, but I like the rather dandyish thing of Jack Shepard, the referee, you know, it's rules, but there's no rules. And um, uh, everyone consents to it, you know. Uh, Everyone um, is unsurprised by the violence on display. I mean, that that to me is more horrific than the, the blood as such, you know, these two guys, both of whom for all the uh, doubts and uh, things that go into this thing with a, a knowledge of what's at stake in this thing. Um, but McIlvany wrote about these things with you know, with the knowledge of someone who'd considered this. You know, it's not a for effect. Um, it is very powerful, but it's not done just for effect. It's about uh, what people are like, what men are like, what what is at stake in uh, these kind of confrontations and trying to prove yourself. And as cinematic as that sequence is in the book, it's also, it comes down to the singularity of purpose in Dan's mind. He's, it's yes. so focusing for him, isn't yes. it? That at the same time yes. that we're seeing, you know, all of this happen, yes. his mind is more focused than it's, than it's ever been and sharpened by yes. the reality of the moment. Yes. And again, he has a, as it's been made clear all the way through, he's um, he has this gift uh, which he didn't kind of ask for and which is not who he is about him being able to punch and to uh, to fight. And it's not who he was, but they, uh, it's something that's there. And um, I mean, McIlvain is you know, incredibly articulate about what that is and um, uh, how when it surfaces how it, how it is dealt with and uh, and the Morricone music is uh, I mean this is what uh, he said I think that the, for him they were like two gladiators you know in a match um, so he goes, so it's very Italian, you know, the whole thing, but, um, you know, that it is very, uh, you know, like, um, a gladiatorial combat. And he, uh, so, yeah, I mean, Morricone had not just done, uh, you know, the mission and, um, all these kind of things. He'd done lots of the giallo thrillers and everything. And, uh, He'd done stylish things, he'd done uh, down and dirty kind of things, he'd done lots of different things. And I think what it what attracted him to do to this was to have to make all the different strands of the story come together in this kind of operatic uh, sequence, which I don't know how long it is, but six, eight, ten minutes, I don't know how long it is, but it's it's long. Yeah, it just comes down to this: the, these these two men ultimately, and then the guy. I mean, uh, 
Matt Mason's almost sitting on a throne there. You get you said earlier about them coming down from Mount Olympus, and you just get the sense that these are gods. And then all the overhead camera angles gives you that extra sense yeah. that these are just the playthings of the gods, basically. Just yeah, and you know, it's settling some I mean, score they have no knowledge it's not of. Not a like. pretty thing to see, but this is uh, this is what it is in certain situations, you know. But the thing of this guy becoming like an animal in a world he doesn't really understand, you know, for a cause that he has misinterpreted, you know, and misinterpreted his place in it, trying to regain his honor and purpose and and money. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I find uh, uh, incredible. He's amazing in this, Liam, you know, because he's... Uh, he carries that sort of dignity and um, commitment all the way through it, you know. I notice there's no women in the crowd here, but in the book no. there are like celebrities yeah. and actors and yeah. have, who've, yeah. who've assembled to see this yeah. fight, you know. Yeah, I think there were women in the... Maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah. There certainly are in these uh, uh, these events, as in boxing. It's, uh, it's very ritualistic and... Uh, Yeah, I think you you really um, the length of time that you spend on the fight is very much saying, revealing the reality of what this is like, isn't yeah. it? It's not sugarcoating yeah. it. It's not yeah. cinem cinematic. Um, I mean, it's cinematic, but it's not doing movie violence. No, it's just no, it's way beyond brutal that. and animalistic. Well, I haven't as seen you say. this in a long uh, while. I mean, it's very very strong every time I see it it feels like it goes on for five minutes longer than I remember yes, it going yes, on yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, gosh so did you block out a lot of this in the script was yes, it yes yeah. yes yes I it mean, did feel that way uh, uh, not I mean uh, then it's redone uh, obviously according to uh, the physical movements but um, but you said that each of the six rounds kind of yes, had a yes so they have to I mean obviously we're now in a you know like the end of the end uh but you had to structure it in a way so that each each time you thought, uh, you I think that's where he actually hit him. Yeah, the the uh, uh, Danny's going to win, or Cuddy's going to win, or something's going to happen. You know, you you try and balance the things, but in the you had to leave enough space so at the end that they're they're both kind of defeated. You know, one crawls away, but uh, I mean, it is amazingly uh, strong even without the uh, music. It's. Um, Liam's fantastic in this, you know. But it is a shock, I agree, in the in the film, you know, just watching it, to see um, uh, Liam go from this, uh, you know, the family and uh, the the life he has uh, to find what he's actually capable of. Um, now that he's in this world. Yeah, the contrast between those tender scenes of yeah. him in bed with the kids yeah. and just running yeah. around carefree playing yeah. football and all of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as in a lot of things in Glasgow, you know, it's not just that people are strong or... But, yeah, they say, oh, he's, he's good at it, you know. He's got a talent for it, you know. It's like admiration. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a way in which the sort of... Uh, 
the cruelty of it is there's a sort of glorification of that, you know, and uh, uh, it's pretty uh, intense, that's for sure. I think from a conditioning point of view, we feel like we're very close to the end here yeah. as an audience. Yeah. But actually, there's quite a bit more to go. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting the way things develop after the fight as well, that you haven't... Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, for looking back, I guess, that, I mean, the fight obviously divides the thing in, in two, in a sense. Um, maybe it got there quicker, I don't know. Uh, see, now you're into a whole... Um, So you can see uncertain. I mean, you write these cuts in, uh, and you know, in a sense, for me at least, the uh, the whole thing that's happening in Spain is like his dream. You know, for for me, the whole thing was like this, uh, the sort of dream you have before you die, before you're called. You know, um, and um, uh, like you rerun everything from your life, what you'd have done differently, what you'd have done. So a lot of those cuts are still from that sort of version, you know, the the guy being drowned and Danny getting out of the bath in a sort of luxury hotel. As they were, you know, it's all these cuts are yeah, uh, pretty done, but they, they don't quite have the... Um, the force they may be supposed to, but... Um, well, he hasn't found it, the reason for any of this yet, has no, he? He doesn't no, know. It's all, no. it's, it's all happening yeah. among these other guys. Because in a way, the, the, it's just the, pawn. the way the, the story works, the, the, doing the fight is, in a sense, the, um, not the MacGuffin, but it's the... The story just starts, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in terms of his involvement with it. He's, he's been a, a sort of soldier... Uh, who's been called on duty and he's had his doubts and this, but he's fought um, and won the the game. But he's left part of himself on the yeah. battlefield. But it's actually only now that he, the, as he begins to go through, he realises what the game is that he's been um, uh, part of. So uh, Always a recurring line in the book that says it's the life is the only game in town and it's fucking rigged. He says it twice in the oh, really? in the book. Yeah, it's something that he remembers saying at some point, and then he realizes, oh my god, that's the reality of it. That yeah. he's got no other way yeah. to play it. And Matt Mason has chosen. He he's understood what yeah. what the what the you know he's got a yes, choice so and he's made his right, choice. Yes. And he says, well, God is a hard bastard. That's right. So I'm going to yeah. be that too. Well, that, that's what's great in in Machiavelli's, uh books, and obviously you're trying to get some of that in here, is that it's. Um, you know, the story of a, a guy from, you know, working class guy from Asia or whatever, uh, this sort of tale, of, he's really got, um, there's a lot of about uh, fate, destiny, choice, character, how the gods work <laughs> upon people. Um, yeah, in a way that doesn't always come through in the sort of popular fiction and popular, you know, it's... Um, uh, it's very much about um, people making the wrong choices and entering a world that they had no idea that it existed, you know. I mean, there's a lot of um, 
uh, conflict in uh, the, 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 the sort of the, the Scottish and indeed American, you know, when America's just taken a lot of the sort of Scottish doubts and fears and things about uh, destiny and life and chance and uh, what as an individual you, you do in life, you know. Uh, what it means to be lost, what it means to be saved, what it means to be damned, what it means to be redeemed. These are all great Scottish uh, themes, and uh, uh, is fantastic at uh, working through about the way you, as things are rigged and um, the way that the, the story keeps on changing, you know. Dougie Henshaw. Yes. Yeah. As the brother just, you know, coming to give the news that yeah. Cutty Dawson has been blinded. I can remember reading the book at first and I was just so shocked that uh, included that the detail, the gory details of that, you know, but the the moral consequences of that of almost killing a guy and but leaving him blind is even seems even worse at the time, you know. It's so. Uh, um, yeah, it's a great scene in the book with the where the family he as as um, Danny arrives at the hospital, the family yeah. are leaving the hospital, and he just knows it's them yeah. without knowing. He sees yes. the wife and the mother and the two yeah. daughters. Yes. And he's like, oh, my God, you know, yeah. this is the consequences of my actions yeah. and that. Oh, and in the book, of course, it's just because he says, hey, in the in the bar, in the pub, it keeps coming back to the fact that just because he said, hey. Yeah. And that's the the John Bar hinge where life goes off in that direction. If yeah. he hadn't stepped in yeah. to the to the fight, yeah. none of this would have happened. And yeah. I guess it makes him think about that moment where things took a turn. You know? Yes, I mean, that, that's, that, that's what's definitely in the McIlvany uh, book. And it's, I think it's, it's partly about how in that vision of the world, people are people, but they're really a combination of their choices. They're not really set in their ways. They're not intrinsically good or bad or evil or uh, fabulous or so. They're... Uh, and this is very niche, but there's not many that have it, you know. Yeah. There's the motivation, you know. As you said, Matt Mason's made his choice, you know, and he's absolutely uh, fine with that. Yeah. In Matt Mason's view of the world of winners and losers, the losers are the people who don't see things clearly. You know, he kind of pities them. Yeah. Not really for... Uh, not in an fits, empathic way. But, yeah, but yeah. not, but because he, he doesn't. Um, uh, he realizes that they're never going to understand. There's an extra layer of kind of this throwing the money at him rather than just putting it down on the table. Feels like it gives Danny that extra motivational boost to knock him out. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Because that just seems, you know, um, like Matt has has just shown him for what, you know, from what for what he is. Yeah. Like here you go, take the money. The way yeah. he kind of throws it at him yeah. is so unpleasant, and this is amazing that. And he becomes Danny again. 
Yeah, this is. And look at the shadows. The film noir. This must be from the book. I, I can't have made this up. But I, I think you did. Really? Yeah. This is really good. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's great because it's a moment when Danny immediately comes back to himself. Yeah. After having been pushed so far out of his, you know. Himself. In that moment yeah. of seeing the child, he's immediately Danny again, you know? Look at that tenderness back again, as soon as the child comes in. And the dog again. Yeah. So, you know, Frankie, again, is making his choice yeah, here, yeah, isn't yeah. he? He's like, I'm going to back the winner myself, <laughs> and it ain't you. I remember David, uh, it was very funny. I mean, um, oh, look at that building. Uh, it's incredible. Is that a real yeah. hospital? Yeah, I think so. Oh, well, no, no, I can't be... Uh, it's amazing. I love but, it. I mean, Glasgow's a very gothic uh, place. I can remember when my uncle was in a in the hospital in uh, Govan, and... Uh, it was a very strange experience for me, not having spent much time in uh, Glasgow hospitals. Uh, but um, I always remember it was, uh, you know, he'd actually been, he was 87 and he'd lived in the same flat that he was born in, in near Ibrox in uh, Glasgow. And uh, at the age of 87, he'd gone down the stairs of the tenement, you know, to get his pension and he had been attacked by a junkie and had his pension stolen you know, on the front stoop of the tenement block. And um, they went to the police and he was giddy and all this kind of stuff. But he, died, he went to had a, you know, a stroke or whatever a few weeks later, obviously related to this attack. But going up there, um, you know, it was full of people uh, it's like this, not being like in an English hospital where everyone's sort of chirping away. Everyone is incredible. You know, the Glaswegian-ness of people is reduced to the absolute essence. And um, my uncle was drifting away at that point. But I remember in the war, there were these nurses and uh, with the elderly people there, I remember they um, uh, used to get them up to make them move around. And the nurses used to get the old fellas to stand on their feet and go dancing. And they'd be dancing around the ward. They, oh, come on, me, come on, Charlie. Uh, move your legs, I go on away like that. And then they go, ah, Charlie, you shite yourself. You know, and of course, having to clean everything up. But they were so good-humoured and uh, kind of uh, straight this completely other world. And the thing with Cutty uh, and Danny Schuller here is a little bit of that. There's, there's a kind of, you know, in the face of your mortality in that world, you know, the Glasgow has a certain appreciation of the, the finer points of etiquette in that. Uh, the, I mean, the humour would be, this is nothing funny about it, but the humour that is in the hospital in Glasgow about life and death is very direct, very un-English, it's very, um, 
uh, it is what it is and uh, people seem to be uh, uh, not used to it or home to it you know no one would ever be like that but that they're um, uh, there's a sort of reality to it uh, in, I always find in English places there's more um, uh, pretending about trying to get better and jollying people along and in Glasgow that's none of that it was much more um, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, grim, or grim and direct, let us say. A little more reality. Yeah. To yeah, it. yeah. It's not quite so sugar coated or not no, so much denial no, no, around. No, that's right. None of that. I like the way they. I always like the way David used this um, uh, end of the estate because uh, it's like a, a sort of a, a cul-de-sac, both in. Uh, uh, real terms and metaphorical terms. Uh, I always think the houses look like kind of an audience. Yes. Like gathered yeah, around, yeah, like a, yeah. around a sort of a stage yeah, and these yeah, two are just the players. Eyes and a face and a nose, yeah. He's a handsome boy, that Liam, isn't he? She's a handsome girl in this. I mean, they are really uh, a good couple, you know. He's To me, he's got some, some kind of... Um, old movie star quality yeah. that is very hard to put your finger yeah. on with that broken nose yeah. or whatever it's got he's got a bit more is it not so much Burt Lancaster but um, definitely an old school yeah. movie star face yeah, I mean, not traditionally handsome yeah. but my god yeah. you know the charisma and the yeah. you know whereas she's more I guess conventionally beautiful yeah yeah he's, he looks fantastic in this Yes, I mean, I identify with Danny Schiller in, uh, as Liam, I think that's the... <laughs> he'd want to be, yeah. But he was, uh, he was always very um, uh, kind of matter-of-fact. He knew he had this effect on people, and it wasn't uh, news to him, you know. But he was always kind of... Uh, I mean, he's, as people always say about these sort of yeah, he's quite shy, you know, he's not... He's, the, the, the real Liam was still there and everything, but he was very, very funny because... Uh, Kind of, he wasn't famous at this time at all. By the way, this was long before he was super well known. But I remember having a coffee with him in um, in London one time during the making or whatever, and uh, uh, people were just coming up to him and uh, you know just wanting to be with him. You know, it was a strange um, and more. You know, uh, but he was very um, gentlemanly about it. You know. It's magnetic quality to him, isn't it? I suppose the magnetism yeah. and the charisma yeah. coupled yeah. with the, his size, his yeah. physical stature yeah. as well. And yeah. I mean, he's a movie star into his 70s. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, is no mean feat. It's not, that's not something everyone can no. pull off. He's still no, leading he's movies and still career. opening movies. Yeah, no. yeah. But I like these scenes that they did, the, uh, you know, after the whole big event of the, uh, the fight and everything. Uh, playing out all these other relationships and everything. Uh, Again, the sort of the malevolence of that car. I've never yeah, seen a Rolls Royce look yeah. quite so. I remember in the in the book it was a Mercedes, and I remember being I was disappointed that it wasn't a Mercedes, which always looked like a 
uh, a shark. I, I don't remember if I, that's from the book. It was my right uh, thoughts. Mercedes to me, my own, more shark-like, um, and uh, the Bentley well, of the Rose is more uh, uh, sort of more traditional uh, kind of uh, thing. Well, there's a Mercedes as well. When when yes, at the beginning, a, yes, isn't there? This is yes, the last time I saw one yes. of these. Hitler was driving it yes, or, yes. or something. <laughs> But they say, yeah, maybe it's a Bentley, not a Rolls. It looks like a Phantom anyway, but whoa. <laughs> She's made her choice now, hasn't she? Yeah. She's like, yeah, this is where yeah, I belong. Yeah. You know, they've both had their... Yeah. But, you know, it's not... The escape is not quite so easy, is it? So the wagons are circling yeah. now because they're coming for Danny and they've got his back. So all of, it, all of the, the story beyond this point feels like it was kind of invented from whole cloth because the film, as we talked a little bit earlier, needed an ending that the book didn't necessarily have. Yes, I mean, what... The, the... And you said there were multiple choices and you mentioned, you talked about some of them, but kind of interesting to see the journeys that you didn't take you know <laughs> yes I mean, maybe uh, not as brutal as the killing of the kid you no, know on no, christmas no. i mean the um <laughs> the the you know in, the, in the, the 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 grim details of you know working as a screenwriter as opposed to a novelist or is if you're adapting something you the ideal thing is to get into a thing where you've read the book so so often and you're you you start inventing scenes or uh you doing scenes from the book whichever it is and once they're on the page, you start to go in and go in and go in, and until you uh, uh, you start inventing uh, stories or dialogue where there are gaps. You start inventing stories or dialogue where there are more things need to be explained or whatever. You pull back on certain things that are spelt out in the book, maybe. And this, is, but the the idea always, always, always is to get to a point where you 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 try to forget what is your own thing and what is uh, the novelist or the, the, the playwrights or whatever. Um, uh, and there's a sort of, it's like being a translator or a, um, you, you, you're, you have to be aware uh, that you're making something new. You know, you, there's no point being humble about it, you know, that kind of thing. But you have to um, uh, simultaneously try to... Uh, uh, carry the book, carry the characters and the rea- their realities with you at the same time as you you can make your decisions and make your um, uh, choices of where they should go, you know. And Otherwise you don't serve the novel, you don't serve the characters, you don't serve the story, uh, all those kind of things. Well, you've internalised it at, at this point clearly and so it even starts to blur, I'm sure, in your own mind about yes, what, what's yes, from the book and yes, what isn't, yes. you know, which is I great. Mean, I, I always thought I was... Uh, I adored the book. I adored William McAvaney's writing. Uh, and he was great. You know, I didn't spend much time with him, but he was uh, kind of as you'd expect from the books, uh, uh, amusing, droll, wry, uh, 
precise uh, and very poetic. Mm. He wasn't a very, um, in my uh, meetings with him, he wasn't a sort of judgmental person. Oh, I like this, I like, didn't like that. I, that's good, that's not good. I, you know, he wasn't like that. It was all slightly more um, uh, seeing what's interesting about the experience of something. You know, he, he was just quite an exceptional uh, character, at least in his um, uh, dealings with me, you know. So what, he didn't react as though you were messing with one of his kids by, no, by adapting? No, no, I, I think there's always a... Um, uh, there's always a... He didn't always have happy experiences, it's fair to say, with his own books, his own... Uh, he, he was reticent, to say the least. And I know, or I think, that his other book, Laidlaw, which had the great Glasgow detective, you know... Um, I think they were always wanting to do that for a television, and in fact, then they just decided to do their own uh, detective and call him Taggart. So that was really the. Um, uh, it would have been understandable if he um, was uh, a little shy of uh, entering into the thing wholeheartedly, but I think he understood what it was. He 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 uh, he read the script. He gave his approval. And he you know he 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 didn't want to get involved as it were he knew billy connolly and uh, i'm sure they would have had more of a you know a kind of a uh a dealing everything but um did you ever hear about of any reaction that he had to the film did he see it did he yeah i was, I was with him at the screen i mean he he you know he complimented us he complimented but i mean uh, had he been uh let's say let's put it, he knew the story uh, uh pretty well having written it, and I guess the, the other bits he didn't know, I guess he would have been, um, uh, you know, maybe slightly uh, amused by, or, you know, I think it's, it's strange watching, it's strange for me watching, uh, having written the script, you know, uh, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process rather than a, uh, being in one position or the other, you know. Yeah, so I think originally there was more that the end would be um, uh, quicker and that it was just an enactment of forces which had been outside Danny's control all through the story. That he's, a, um, like in many noir stories, he's a, uh, he sees himself as the uh, centre of the story, but in fact he's a bit part player in his own uh, drama. Um, Did you feel that that would have been truer to the noir spirit in a way? Yes, yes, yes. Um, as in the the kind of Burt Lancaster uh, version of the the Killers. Uh, I mean the the Hemingway story, the Killers. Uh, you know, not to go get, but which really, I'm sure McAvaney must have read it because the earlier scenes are are just like that. You know, um, but as I say, there were these three versions that I know, three versions, but one is the Robert Siodmak version with Bart Lancaster, the second one, the Don Siegel version with John Cassavetes and Lee Marvin. And the third one, strangely, I don't know, it might be on the DVD, is Andrew Tarkovsky did it as his student film. Uh, you can see that on YouTube and everything, but that's a pretty direct um, treatment of the Hemingway story, obviously in Russian, you know. But what he gets to, and you know, this is first student graduation thing. I always thought it was strange that 
you'd get filmmakers and people as from such you know Bert Lancaster and Andre Tarkovsky and uh, John Cassavetes and Ronald Reagan, Lee Marvin, all um, connecting to the same material. And for me, I know that in this uh, story there were a lot, there were lots of those themes, those visitations upon people by um, you know death and uh, its messengers, you know, and that in the killers, one of the great things is that you never really know who, who these people are from. It's just a job that they're going to do, going to whack someone. They're not really interested that much. It's like ordering something for breakfast. And um, of course, what he was trying to get at in that thing is really about the how tough life is and how disconnected and how um, uh, the emotions of a situation are sometimes best handled by showing by not showing the emotions but what 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 has pushed the emotions away you know the sense of fate and uh, and fatalism yes in the case of the Lancaster and Cassavetes yes. characters they're just yes. they're, they're completely resigned to their yes. fate which is how the whole thing yes opens in each case yes, isn't it why right. would a man not run from his own death that's right well yeah. you know so originally i mean i think that the ending uh you know here which is obviously a happier ending is really the, because you would have expected it to be much uh darker mm-hmm. you know, much quicker and much more of a, a kind of an execution and so um and there's the the forces of death uh leaving and uh uh, to return another time stronger and worse and more cruel. Well, sure. you can interpret it that way. <laughs> or, you, or you can interpret it as he's beaten the devil yes. at his own game. Yes, there is, yeah, by having you, you could t- It depends on your outlook. Yes. Which yes. is the, the wonderful thing about an ambiguous yes. ending like that, isn't yes. it? Yes. No, I think it did uh, very well uh, to, to go that route. No, it's it's wonderful, and and you know that what you bring to it. That's it's always wonderful when a film isn't all there in front of you, where there's actually something, some room for the audience to to walk out and have two different views. Of, yeah, of, I hope so. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, looking at it again. I mean, it is a strange film because it's got lots of different parts. The the fight scene is a kind, of, you know, the Morricone music really kind of uh, bring everything together, and yet there's a. Uh, the lead up to that is one thing, and then the, the sort of story almost just starts with the the fact, the actual um, unraveling of what he thought he was doing, and so it is a strange thing to watch again and realize how different it is uh, in the reality too. I mean, I like those different elements of it. I like that it's a, a partly a social realist thing, partly it's operatic, partly it's a um, story of a marriage breaking up, partly it's a you know a kind of a fairy tale of redemption apparently it's a really cruel thing you know it's got all these things going on in it and um, uh, and normally when you're adapting a book you have to leave quite a lot of that stuff behind but you actually yeah. did manage to put yeah. all of that in the film which well, is a yeah, real I, I, tribute I, to the to the work well people you know they had a David is a terrific director and Steve is a terrific producer of the cast is fantastic the casting by Susie Figgis so the um, uh, the photography, the editing, you know, everything is really strong in it. And obviously the music uh, uh, by Morricone really, uh, you know, is, is the uh, icing on the proverbial cake. But uh, I think it's a, 
I'm aware watching it that it's kind of a strange movie and that there's not um, not many others like it, you know. So I I don't know whether that comes from uh, the subject matter, from the the nature of McIlvaney's kind of um, uh, rather American idea of story and character, but a, a very sort of ruminative Scottish uh, idea of the world, or whether it's um, uh, just that it has got so many different pieces in that it's like a puzzle that you try to um, uh, pull apart and try to put back together again. I mean, for me, you know, Dan is a sort of modern uh, hero in that he does not know the life that he's about to lead. You know, he's um, he's acted upon rather than acting, and he has to find a way of bringing all the different parts of his lives and his decisions back together again before we leave him. And how successful he is at that, I guess, is uh, is up to people when they see it. But I hope that, you know, people uh, can see it, you know, just not as... It's not a, a modern movie that you'd um, uh, switch on and uh, be... It's certainly no rom-com or anything like that. It's, it's got a lot of things going on in it, some of which are very strong and some of which are... Um, maybe excessive, but um, I think it's got a great mix of all these things and uh, I'm very proud to have been uh, part of it. So I hope you all enjoy it. Thanks for listening to Rogue Commentary, a synchronicity production produced and mixed by Sam Ibrahim with music by Oli Oha. We'll be back with another exclusive audio commentary soon, so please subscribe, rate us, and most importantly, tell your fellow film fans that Rogue Commentary is a thing. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube for news about upcoming episodes. And if you have any suggestions for future contributors, email us at david at rogue-commentary.com. Bye.